Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Luter, for Rock Ledbetter. Um, welcome back, back, Cardinal fans. We have 125 uh, of these under our belts. We do not charge any prices. And uh, we celebrated uh, going over 20,000 viewers or listeners last week. So really appreciate your support. Let's keep it cranking. It was a tough game yesterday, but also an encouraging game in a number of aspects. So I want to get right to it. We're calling this the fantastic and the unacceptable. So let's start with the fantastic. The fantastic was the opening drive. What's clear now after in five games is Kyler and Drew Petzing are, are very good at, at diagramming and scheming up first play drives. Um, first series. And again, the Cardinals score, you know, they went right down the field. Um, I was surprised to see that Steve Wilkes and the 49ers didn't have a better initial plan for Trey McBride, particularly coming off McBride's great day against the Steelers. So I was happy to see that because, uh, you know, um, the first play, they got an offsides on, on San Francisco next play. Um, it was a Connor run up the middle for no gain on second and and five. You had Murray sh- short pass to Trey McBride um, that w- carried eleven yards and uh, on the on the bootleg, perfect. So it moved the sticks. Then um, next play, Murray connects with Trey McBride for thirty eight yards on that corner route. That was awesome. Um, so then it's first and 10. Connor ran for four yards. Murray scrambles left for 12 yards, another first down. Um, <clears throat> then uh, <clears throat> we had to take a timeout. We looked like the clock was running out. Um, then Connor ran, ran um, off left tackle for three yards. So second, um, and this was in goal now, second and goal. At the San Francisco two, um, Connor right up the middle, bang, 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 two yards, TD. Connor's just such a bell cow um, and so good down there. It's too bad later on when they had first and goal from the five, they sc- totally screwed it up by not running Connor on first down when uh, the 49ers look gas. But that's for another, you know, segment of this show. But but they got it done here, Prater with the extra point, and uh, we're up seven nothing. So that was great. And you know the other, the, I mean, if you look back back at the game and the things that were really fantastic, uh, I thought the Cardinals' offensive line played their best game of the season, both um, in run blocking and in pass pro. Um, I thought they were just really, really good um, throughout the game. And I thought they gave Kyler Murray ample time on, on most occasions, the majority of occasions and running, you know, Cardinals running against 49ers for 234 yards at 7.8. A pop was just awesome. And Connor had 14 carries for 86 yards, 6.1 average. A long of 44 and one TD. Amari DiMarcato, four carries, 64 yards, 16.0, one TD. Um, for, and the 49-yard touchdown, he shot it out of a cannon coming out of a, a scrum. Kyler had six rushes for 49 yards, 8.2. That was really good with a long of 15. Michael Carter, three carries for 27 yards, 9.0. So whoever touched the ball... And Dorch had a five-yard run, and Moore had a three-yard run. So, you know, 30 carries, 234 yards for 7.8, two TDs. Fantastic. And it's encouraging for the future that, you know, we have not only, um, you know, the most physical offensive line we've had in, in ages, 
we also have a trio of running backs um, who are outstanding complements of one another. And James Conner, Amari DiMaccardo, and Michael Carter are all scheduled to return next year, which is really exciting. And to think it, you know, if they're going to draft a running back, it could be late in the in day, on day three. I there's really not a lot of urgency there to add to that group just yet. I mean, they're going to add. You know, they have Tony Jones they'll probably bring back, um, and they'll probably draft someone really late. There are a couple really good kids I like late anyway, so, um, you know, fantastic. And then the other fantastic thing is, of course, the tight end play, where McBride had 10 catches for 102 yards, broke the Cardinals' single-season tight end record for receptions, a 10.2 average along a 38 on a 10 receptions on 11 targets. That is fantastic. It's particularly seen as he's been our hot receiver and you know, they're just kind of schemed to, to play him. How about the leaping catch he made near the pylon? Um, oh my goodness. Um, that, that led to, a, uh, you know, um, I guess it wound up a field goal because they screwed up that drive. But just the same, um, you know, that was such a great play on a high throw. And, and McBride is just so athletic. And, boy, he does not go down on first contact. Got a little dinged up there, a little scary there for a moment, but was able to come back in. I guess he had a shoulder stinger. Um, and I think he looked fine coming back. And then how about Elijah Higgins? who's really made, you know, been making progress as a receiving tight end, four catches, 44 yards on four, four targets. And Jeff Swaim, one, you know, that bounced off uh, Karam that he caught for 26 yards. I mean, that is, so for right there, and we won't count the, the Swaim situation because that was actually – uh, maybe we could because it was headed for McBride and, and pinged into Swaim's arm. So, you know, that was 16 targets for tight ends for um, 15 receptions. And, you know, I mean, 172 um, yards of their 211. Now, the not-so-good comes later. But, you know, <clears throat> that's fantastic. I mean, when have we ever seen that? And it just goes to show that, you know, and, and here here again, we got, well, Jeff Swaim's a free agent, and I think that it, it's, you know, the Cardinals will add to the position. Um, Blake Whitehart is someone that, that's a good receiving tight end. I think we'll be back. And um, too bad about Jeff Swaim. It looked like he... Uh, his knee buckled on him, and hopefully it's just a sprain. He's played well for the Cardinals, both as a blocker and as a situational receiver. You, know, you just got to love what they're getting from the running backs and tight ends. This is a very Patriot-esque of old-time offense, and which includes you know, kind of not connecting often enough with wide receivers. So... But they're getting the tight ends going and the running backs going, and that offensive line is is getting after it. And um, penalties are fewer. It, it, it was really a stunning performance from that aspect from the Cardinals. Um, so, but uh, what other positives did you see, Kyle, in the game that you liked? You know, the – the tight ends combining for over 150 yards and I think 17 catches, I think was the, uh, the total, if I remember was really impressive. And, you know, that's a way that teams have picked apart the 49ers this year, especially with Charvarius Ward playing some of his best football. Sorry, it was 15 catches, not 17 catches, but still adding up for 170 receiving yards amongst the three Cardinals tight ends. Um, I think that's something that I know Niners fans will be concerned about was watching the Cardinals pick it apart, but I think that's more what the Cardinals want to run in their offense and adapting your offense to your personnel, which is always something that's that's impressive. And 
I know you have some tweets about the defense and the coaching there, but I think if we're doing an evaluation of this season, I think Drew Petzing deserves an A for the work that he's put in on the offense and, you know, first with Josh Dobbs and and for, you know, a good five weeks having them play like a top half offense in the league, despite, you know, McBride not really coming along. And, you know, we've seen Dobbs get demoted to third string now in Minnesota. So I, I think that they overachieved given the talent level they had to start the season. And now, you know, insert Kyler Murray into a pro style offense. And I know the Cardinals are two and three, but he looks comfortable. He's playing the best football since the beginning of the third season, which was in 2021. Uh, even against a Niners defense that's strong in the passing game, they were still able to piece together a good 200-plus yards, add in the 200 on the ground, including the the awesome Amari DiMercaro touchdown, which was super exciting in real time because... You know, it looked like he was he was wrapped up and the Niners are great at wrapping guys up in the especially Fred Warner, who got a hand on him on a on that play. That was a cool touchdown. Um, I was I was working the game and the Niners broadcaster, Greg Papa, was laughing kind of to himself. He's like, how does that little guy get through all those defenders and break away into the seam on the the Demer Caro touchdown, which was awesome. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of positives to take away from the offense and just, you know, from the season as a whole, I think Drew Petzing deserves an A for the work that he's put in because Kyler, I know the the stats won't look as great for Kyler at the end of the day. I I don't blame him for that last interception because the, the second one came in garbage time and we'd rather him chuck it and duck it all over the field and then go into conservative play calling at the end. So, the, the second interception is fine. I know he threw the pick six and the pick six is really going to mess with the the QBR numbers and the passer rating numbers. But I don't think Kyler played necessarily bad in this game. And these five games in the pro style offense have been the best he's looked since his third season in the league. So, yeah, I, I my biggest takeaway is that, you know, tight ends are the best unit that they have on the field at this point. That's not something I expected at the start of the year. And think Drew Petzing deserves an A for the work that he's put in and in, in building this offense. Yeah, I I like a lot of what Petzing's doing, particularly uh, my offensive um, assistant coach of the year so far, or two of them, are uh, the running back coach, Autry Denson, um, and the offensive line coach, well, plus the tight ends coach. I'm All three of those guys have been – really picking it up and uh Clayton Adams is the offensive line coach and I've been very impressed with him you know it's it, there's been a lot of flux and trying to fill in at the left guard spot and things but um yeah Ben Steele with the tight ends deserves a ton of credit and um you know uh Autry Jensen as I say with the running backs i really impressed with those three my concern about Petsing and, and the philosophy of the, this offense is that, you know, it's a Kevin Stefanski-style offense, which needs to be paired to work, needs to be paired like the Browns have under Stefanski with a great defense because it's going to keep games close because it's ball – knows how the Cardinals use ball control. In the kind of amazing. They, um, you know, was down at halftime, seeing as, you know, the time of possession was so heavily in their favor. And that was another fantastic thing was to control the ball the way they did in the first half, but unfortunately be down 21 to 13 um, at halftime, uh, but still very much in the game. So, you know, that felt good. Um, but situationally, I think um, – particularly in second halves, Drew Petzing has um, has, has fallen short of, of what I would consider to be reasonable um, expectations. Um, you just haven't been, you know, there's been so many throw under the sticks, third and give up off offense that we've seen all year. It happened again yesterday a few times. It's just galling. Um and then, because it didn't happen in the in the in the Steelers game until, you know, except on a couple of occasions, um, 
they were passing beyond the sticks. And when you have a McBride and you have a now this is the emergence of Elijah Higgins and should have been able to hook up with Michael Wilson and Rondale Moore and Greg Dorchmore and um and didn't, but uh that's the next part of the game that I think needs to be cleaned up because um you know we're squandering opportunities late in close games and that's why you know um and we're losing leads with our defense just coughing it up or, or not leads but close games with the defense just you know <clears throat> being as um as inconsistent and in my opinion poorly coached um you know so that clear evidence yesterday how do you leave let Debo Samuels run right across your face, Jalen Thompson, and you don't chase him. You don't even look back to see if you have help. And the rule of thumb in a, in a zone defense, zone coverage is if a man enters your zone, you pick him up man-to-man -man and play him man until you can pass him off to a helper. And Jalen Thompson just stood there in cement which has happened so often this season of Cardinal zone defenders like cardboard, you know, figures just standing in cement. It's just awful. Then how do you, how can you leave Christian McCaffrey wide open, so wide open up the sideline that he can catch the ball, fall at the 10 yard line and then get up and scoot in untouched. I mean, this is thoroughly unacceptable, and it's the reason why in Philadelphia, Jonathan Gannon soured with the fans because of these, like, just blown coverage assignments that pop up every now and then in horrible times when you're trying to fight back to, to get in a game and, you know, and, and um, keep things close. In Quick yesterday. stat for you, Walter. Um, Bill Barnwell had this on Twitter. The McCaffrey touchdown where he catches it and falls down and I can't remember which safety it was but the safety's on the complete opposite side of the field that's supposed to be in that zone because they went to double I think it was Ayuk um, that play McCaffrey had 14.6 something yards of separation between him and the closest defender which was the 10th largest separation of any play in the entire NFL season yeah well We've had deep safety help all, um, you know, um, just awful deep safety help all year. Um, just worse than the league, in my opinion. I mean, it's not even there in plays like that. But when it's in there, they don't play it right. Um, still lament not working Isaiah Simmons out of free safety or so getting someone who could be rangy and play and play over the top. It's just not happening. I mean, Jalen Thompson is really good in the box, but he's not, he's a liability once you get beyond the box and coverage, unfortunately, unless he's in man, because he can man up pretty well, particularly against tight ends and he can play the slot, which Garrett Williams has taken over when he's, he's coming. Garrett Williams has been excellent at handling the slot. Um, and, Starling Thomas, the, the fifth, uh, he's very active. I was impressed with him. He, But, I mean, he's getting picked on in the deep thirds, like, you know, like on that uh, Debo easy TD, he got sucked toward the middle. And if he was supposed to be the deep third to that left side, he left the whole deep third open, and you can't do that. Um yeah, but he's a young player and he'll be learning. But but I don't know, the scheme just seems so wrong. I mean, it was shades of the second half of the Super Bowl. It was a carbon copy. Remember Pacheco running uncontested on a swing pass to the left side the way that McCaffrey was yesterday. It's these glitches in coverage. And people say, oh, the roster sucks, so we should go. No. I mean, there are high school coaches who can coach this better. Uh, I played against them where you, they don't give you crap. I mean, the only way to beat them is to beat them man to man. And, and, you know, and 
and beat them, you know, just out of sheer effort. But you don't leave guys wide open like that. How about the third down and 11 pass? Easy, easy peasy pass to Kittle over the middle. I mean, you can't have that. You just can't. It was just so easy. Um, and, you know, at that point, you have to know you've got to change. Now, here's the thing on that play. If you watched Buda Baker, who apparently was assigned to Kittle, and by the way, Buda Baker's one of the guys in the NFL Kittle fears the most because, you know, Buda has played him well and um, has caused him to hear footsteps on many occasions. Buda Baker fakes a blitz, takes two steps towards towards a blitz path, while Kittle's blowing out, you know, off the line of scrimmage, and now he's five yards behind Kittle to try to chase him. It makes no sense whatsoever, none. And the announcers even said um, that Purdy read that play and knew that the Cardinals could be blitzing on that side, so he already keyed on Kittle. And look at how wide open. I mean, the free state, where's the free safety on that play? This is what I mean, being able to play over the top. Why isn't there a free safety there um, to defend that? Or you, what you do is like they did nicely with Buddha. One play was where they um, showed blitz, but then had him um, retreat back into the middle where he could have defended a play like that. Now that was pre-snap, you know, just on the snap, he was able to retreat and be in a position to defend. On this particular play, he takes two steps toward the blitz and Kittle's gone. It just makes no sense. There's some of the – here's the other – I mean, there's so many things about this defense. You know, shuffling in play players like hockey lines. How many times have you seen a player make a really good tackle and then they take him right out of the game? It happened again three times yesterday. Well, it's like, you know, I don't get it. Why do you, okay, there's your good tackle. Come on out. Um, you know, and two is where was the pressure on Purdy? I mean, you're not going to get around Trent Williams. So you got to manufacture pressure in other ways. Um, and, there are many ways, many ways to do it. And the inside of that 49ers line is suspect. And other other teams have been 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 um creating blitz packages to get in uh, Purdy's face. But Brock Purdy, I mean, I wrote the article about this um that Dan Bickley and, and Vince Murata were talking about about how to maneuver around the pocket to create a passing, clear passing lanes. Brock Purdy is a master of this. I mean, to watch him maneuver around the pocket, as he did yesterday, notice the plays he made off schedule, or just the, the simple little floating um, that he did with his feet in the pocket to create the clear passing lanes each time and get the ball on, on track and on, on target. I mean, you know, and Kyler doesn't, you know, just doesn't have that instinct. He just doesn't. It's either full bore panic mode to escape or it's just throw from my back foot where I'm standing. And, you know, that's, that's why, I mean, that's why it leads to ratings like this, like Brock Purdy's. QBR was 93 yesterday. Kyler Murray's was 25.6. I mean, and then the rating, quarterback rating for Purdy, 135. For Kyler, it was 67.4. So, you know, but think of what Kyler could have accomplished if he buys a little more time and, and passing lanes. The other thing I noticed that the 49ers do with Purdy from a direct snap, which is really cool, is and Purdy's not 
that bigger than taller than Kyler is that he takes from the direct snap a three stop three step drop and is shielded off by the three the the two guards and the the center but even though he's shielded off he knows he's got to maneuver in that little space to where there's a gap between those guys to find his passing lanes downfield he does it masterfully I mean, this kid has the savvy, and it's just like, I mean, the, just the pure irony of Kyler being a number one pick, Purdy being a Mr. Irrelevant, Purdy being from Arizona and a, a homegrown kid um, playing for San Francisco, who two years in a row now have claimed a Cardinals home game as their own home game. You could have just shifted Mexico City to State Farm Stadium yesterday. It's just this is continues to be an embarrassment and a totally unacceptable aspect of Arizona Cardinals football. And you had Buddha texting out after games to thank the fans who actually went. It's just sad. And, you know, um, it's got to change. It's got to change. And, you know, I, I mean, like getting back to what Drew Petzing is doing. I mean, that's an offense that's that's conserv relatively conservative. If you look back at the Browns, typically they only have one wide receiver who who you know is a thousand yard guy. It's not a wide receiver friendly offense to begin with. All right, so you know if you look at you know, that's one of the reasons why Odell Beckham wanted out of Cleveland. Cleveland. I mean, so he wasn't getting the rock in Cleveland. And I don't know if he'd be getting the rock here either. I mean, it's just an ongoing. I mean, we thought we broke the ice with Rondale Moore last week. I mean, the, in the Steelers game, you know, even though that, that TD was called back, that was shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been called back, and it was a thing of beauty. They're you know throwing downfield to Rondale now, but and I it, it, this is really bothers me about Kyler is I mean, I'll disagree with you a little bit, Kyle. Although I understand your spirit of you know late in the game he's trying to push the envelope. Why Kyler sailed that ball way over um, the receiver's head in that situation um, was really unfortunate. It was shades of Josh Dobbs. The other for that interception that was way overcooked. And here's the thing, you know, I don't think I'm being too critical of Kyler, and I believe he would agree with anyone who would say this was that as a quarterback, you have to hit Rondale Moore on that crossing pattern in the end zone. He's open. It's not a hard throw. I mean, and Kyler was nowhere close, and he didn't have any pressure on. Him. And that what makes you nervous. He doesn't have the same kind of poise and the Purdy does and, and calmness under pressure. It's just not there. And, you know, um, so, but he does a lot of things really well. I mean, escaping, he's, he's top three in the planet. Um, you're throwing a beautiful ball when he is on schedule, like many of the ones he threw to McBride yesterday. The one on the interception was too late. But then again, he didn't create a passing lane with his feet. And if he had, he would have would have, would have been able to also pick up on Michael Wilson because you couldn't cover both of them. Wilson was clearing over the middle. I mean, and now we'll get to the stat that's just really alarming is three targets for Michael Wilson with no catches. Four target targets for Zach Pascal, which is like so mind-boggling to me. I, I can't even. I mean, Pascal has given us nothing on offense all year. Nothing. Uh, meanwhile, Greg Dortch has, and Pascal had more targets yesterday than Greg Dortch. Dortch had three, and Dortch made two catches on the three. He was the only wide receiver, of, you know. Well, actually, Rondale Moore had two catches. 
but those were 2.5 for five yards. Those were swing passes, um, you know, of insignificance, which by the way, those haven't been working and why they keep trying to go to them is just beyond again. This is why Petsing to me has a lot of growing up to do as a play caller when he's resorting to plays like that or that go nowhere. And like sometimes a one yard pass to a tight end that goes for one yard. Um, I don't know what in the world that does for you. So, um, but I'm so really as, so as, as it relates to Petsing, like, I don't think it's perfect. And the thing that also might stink is that he might not get the time to, to, you know, coach enough games to work through some of this stuff. But right. I think that he's succeeded reasonably so far this season. And and if we give him a second year and a third year as a play caller, I think you're going to start to see the offense look kind of like what the, the, the Cleveland offense looks like, where now they've incorporated Amari Cooper into their offense and he's a thousand yard receiver. And they've kind of figured that out even with the revolving door of quarterbacks. Or you look at what... Um, the Vikings did with with Kevin O'Connell and they run a similar offense to what the Cardinals are trying to do. And you started to see how um, when you had no Justin Jefferson, they were able to incorporate Jordan Addison more into the offense. And yes, they really wanted TJ Hawkinson, but now you've seen Jordan Addison break out. And last year, KJ Osborne had a whole bunch of scores late, kind of like what Michael Wilson had early in the year where there was a stretch of success. Like, I, I think there's room to improve. I I don't understand why all these teams are throwing swing passes when their offenses aren't designed to work them. It's it's like wasting a down. It's like running on second and ten. It makes no sense why you would just throw away a down like that. But I, don't don't you think that if he's given a second and third year that you, you've seen the signs that this offense will develop into one of the best offenses and Petsing, in my eyes, could become one of the the coveted offensive coordinators if you give him two or three years. No, because no, okay, no, no, this is not the right offense for Kyler Murray. It's just not. I mean, give him a Mike McDaniel esque offense that's 49ers based. Here's where I mean, O'Connell's offense is 49ers, it's not Stefanski. So you give him a you give him a this 49ers offense or some some variation of it. See, the problem with this offense is it's because it's so run heavy and conservative, it's hard to get a quarterback into a rhythm. It also brings more players into the box, which makes it harder for um, Kyler Murray. He's better off when in a spread where defenders are spread all over the field so that he can pick his spots not only pick the kind of um, mismatches he'll have out of the spread, but also, um, you know, the ability to run whenever he wants, which is everybody's, you know, worst um, nightmare as a, as a defense, defensive. So when you say bring in like a 49ers offense, do you want the Cardinals to incorporate more like pre-snap motion in their offense? Yes. Because yes, I want, Open okay. it up. Look at the way that the 49ers and the Rams are very similar. Similar. They have a patented running attack, but it's with play action and and they go into spreads. They motion into spreads. So and in motioning, what you get is a read pre-snap read of whether you're looking at zone or man and pre-snap determinations of where you're going to be able to go with option one, two, and three, given whether it's zone or man. And you always, in, in, that, in that sequence, with your second option, you always have a, a route that's good against either zone or man. So if your first option is not there, you look at the second option. But, you know, in this offense, I mean, it's just... I mean, what we're seeing is just not – he's also not scheming up rubs and picks and, you know, combination routes for the wide receivers that, you know, you would get when you see uh, the 49ers with Ayuk and Tebow Samuel, for example. 
the two of them coming off rubs and doing combination routes to one side is really difficult to defend. And I mean, we have some similar athletes like those guys. I mean, Rondale Moore's, you know, maybe even faster than both of them. I think he is. Um, but it's just poorly scan. It's just not choreographed properly. And I don't think it gives the quarterback, I don't think this is a particularly quarterback friendly offense. Um, and that's where I think that, you know, if, if you're looking at Kyler Murray and his best potential, I mean, Kurt Warner always said it great was you love to run the ball, but not the expense of icing your quarterback. And that it was so important to, to Kurt, especially early in games was to get in, in the flow like Kyler did yesterday and throwing to McBride was there was a rhythm there. But then when you go back and, you know, um, but what should have happened after that was, a, you know, um, a more um, concerted effort to like what Kirk Warner would do is he bonded with every receiver. I mean, he made a household name out of Jeremy Urban, who was wide receiver four um, in Arizona. We knew who he was. Stevie Breston, who couldn't catch a ball his rookie year. Caught for a thousand yards in the three thousand yard seasons we had. Kyler Murray is a passer first, and if you don't recognize that, um, and if you don't play off of that, but here's my also also my concern about Kyler, and this is the thing about this offense that worries me, is that because it's conservative in nature and it and it tends to draw to added defenders into the box to create more havoc. And, you know, um, that there's something about Kyler, and I don't know how to point my finger directly to it, except to say, I guess it's a focus issue or, you know, it just doesn't seem to be able to sustain. It, it all almost always seems to me like if they score first, don't expect much later. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like he gets comfortable with scoring and then kind of takes his eye off the ball or loses focus. I was screaming at the TV yesterday when the 49ers scored right before the end of the half. And, you know, with Purdy jumping back in from the tent. And if, if you know, it was shocking to me that Kyler didn't, just take that as such an inspiration. I'm going to answer Purdy because we're getting the ball back. We have two timeouts left. We're going to get the ball back, and they're getting the ball first, so we really need to push this. And um, so I'm screaming at the TV, Kyle. Kyler is sitting there alone on the bench during the break, just flipping the ball up to himself. And I, I'm like screaming at the TV. Get up and throw. Get up and throw. He's just sitting there doing nothing while the commercial's going. And we were able to see it because it was a split screen with this commercial on one side and, and the camera on the other. He never gets up. And then, so he goes out. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the worst three and outs I've ever seen. I mean, in this kind of situation where you need to, you have a minute 14 left, you have two timeouts left, you have a chance to maybe even get a field goal with Prater, who was awesome. By the way, back to fantastic is Prater and Gillikin, who were absolutely awesome. Prater with the 57 yarder, and he was two for two, and Gillikin averaged 56 yards on two punts. Unbelievably awesome. So, you know, kudos to them. But, you know, you got a guy like Prater, if you can get three points out of it, you can get it to 21-13. At least it's an answer to Purdy. And a lot of these games that are quarterback-driven, you got to want to respond to what the other guy's doing. But here's how it went. So we go out there. First pass is a target to Zach Pascal on a slant. Of all people, short middle and – it's thrown a little behind Pascal, and it's just deflected away. So now second and 10. 
then was the was the swing pass to Di Mercado that he dropped. He lost his. He peeked ahead to see who was who was coming and dropped it. So no gain. Now it's third and ten. And what does he do? He just throws a five-yard pass to DiMarcado in a third and give up. And now you're giving the ball back to the 49ers with a minute left. And they call timeout. I mean, that was the most give up, three and out. It's totally unacceptable. It's totally unacceptable. Um, and I don't care who's quarterbacking. If that's – and who's calling the plays – as a play caller, you just cannot. I mean, I can't imagine Drew Petzing st- sitting there going, like, okay, Kyler, this will get him. Hit Zach Pascal on a skinny post to start the drive. Zach Pascal. Now, if it was Dorch who gets, you know, league-wide best separation, that's a different thing. But to Pascal, who's done nothing all year, I mean, it's just so aggravating. And Kyler just sucks right into this. It's like he didn't give a shit. Seriously. I mean, he's not throwing up, throwing, excuse me, not throwing on the sideline to get ready for this. He walks out and throws up three, three, just give up plays. I mean, the reason why the second one was a give up play is it's thrown right away out of the shotgun. So, so all three passes were thrown right away. It's like him saying, I'm not going to stand in there and take one for the team. Which quarterbacks in the NFL have to do. You have to do it. If you're not game for that, you can't play quarterback in a tuxedo in the NFL. The best ones, the best quarterbacks, buy time with their feet. They float. They create passing lanes, and they deliver on target. And, you know, it's just moments like that that just are so frustrating and makes you wonder, oh, my goodness. you know, This was like the opening drive against the Steelers in the second half. After finally throwing beyond the sticks, it was the same exact first play was a one-yard pass to Jeff Swain. I don't know what that's getting you, where he was tackled immediately. So it's now second and nine. Second play was a like the goal line yesterday where Connor got where the fumble was where he got met in the backfield because everybody now now knows they're running. If they're incomplete or it's short pass on first down, they're going to run it to Connor on second down. So they do the run blitz and, you know, and then they had that. So on third down, they ran a shallow mesh cross route to Marquise Brown, who was two yards behind the line of scrimmage, you know, and perfectly covered. So if he caught the ball, he was immediately tackled. And now you're two yards short and you're just going to punt. It's a th- like like Red Sea from uh, Revenge of the Birds has, has said all along, this is a third and give up offense. And that's what it was there. And fortunately, the Cardinals defense was able to um, hold its ground and not give up. Like, you know, how about the Cardinals defense at the start of the second half? I mean, four plays in 75 yards. It wasn't four plays that gained 75 yards. It was a minus play, an incomplete pass, and then on third and 11, 40 yards to Kittle, and then 40 yards for a touchdown. Just totally unacceptable on both ends. It was really yeah. two plays, 76 yards. Yeah, because it was negative right. one, then an incomplete pass. It was rough. Right. What a gift. I mean, this is serious. I mean, I had to tweet out, we're in serious trouble in the NFC West. I mean, NFC West coordinators are, like, exposing Gannon's weakness in teaching pass coverages. I mean, left and right. I mean, and exposing... The fact that Gannon likes to go with converted safeties at inside linebacker who can't hold up against the run. I mean, Josh Woods. Josh Woods is not an NFL inside linebacker. I mean, his PFF grade is like in the 30s or low 40s. 
I mean, with a reason. He's just not equipped. You drafted a kid, Papo, who, by the way, has played two games and his PFF grade is up in the 80s. Papo had the speed to cover CMC. Notice how when CMC caught the touchdown pass over the middle, who was assigned to cover him? Josh Woods. How close did Woods come to defending him? Again, looked like a cardboard figure. Letting a guy cross his face and not and not sticking and not covering. Easy peasy tight um touchdown to McCaffrey. You know, so you're playing. I mean, these are guys that Gannon hand picked. I mean, Kaiser White was his guy. He was the prize, you know, um free agent the Cardinals signed, who had ties to Gannon and came with him from Philly. But and I said this at the time. If the plan was to move him to Mike, huge mistake. He's not a prototypical Mike. He can't hold up there. He had his best season playing Will, weak inside linebacker for the Eagles, which is a whole different um, assignment, and it's more coverage-oriented. But Kaiser White is not a downhill tackler the way Zaven Collins is. And he's not the physical prototype the way Zaven Collins is. And this, you know, people just standing by saying like, oh, they did the right thing with Zaven Collins. That is so BS. It's just beyond the pale. Not when you have two converted safeties playing inside linebacker. I mean, look at how the NFC West has ravaged the Cardinals inside linebackers in each of the games. How about the two Ram games against Kyron Williams? How about yesterday versus the 49ers? I mean, there's no one in there to make these stops. And if they do, they're 10 yards downfield. It's like the old Jordan Hicks tackles. It's just unacceptable. And these were guys that Gannon went with, and he wanted I, you know, to move, move Zayvon Collins out, to cut Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah should have been where, where uh, Collins is now. That's where he should have been. And then maybe double him on the backside in, in um, you know, as a free, free um, safety on passing situations and get in another pass rusher there on the edge because, because of Isaiah's range. But, uh, yeah, um, it's really disappointing. And, you know, listen to this, Kyle. Five NFC West games. The Cardinals have been outscored 163 to 78. Jeez. That is, okay. You're giving up 32.6 points per game and getting 15.6. I mean, and all the games have been well taken care of by the fourth quarter. They're over. And yet, the myth is, oh, these Cardinals are playing hard. <laughs> oh, these Cardinals are really feisty. Oh, they're playing hard for Jonathan Kent. If that's the idea of playing hard with those results, and then the excuse is, well, they suck because they have no talent. Zayvon Collins is a major league talent who's being wasted away. Isaiah Simmons is a major league talent who needed to be coached and still needs to be coached, although he's had good flashes with the Giants, but he happens to play at the position where their two best players on defense are. That's, you know, that it'll be interesting to see what happens to him in free agency because someone's going to have a role for him. I would not quit. I would not bet against Isaiah Simmons once he gets his head right. And that was a guy who was, in my opinion, traumatized by the previous um, DC fans, Joseph. And with good reason, being yanked after his first bad play in his first game for four games. I, I mean, to do that to a, a winner like Isaiah Simmons who was, you know, was one of the best defenders 
in college football for his three seasons in, in at Clemson is just unconscionable. And some guys, you know, I mean, look at how it took DJ Humphreys three years to try to fight back from being knee deep, being called knee deep. It's how you, you know, it's how you're treated. I mean, imagine if Isaiah got Kyler's treatment. I bet he'd be one of the by far best players on the field today. By far. I mean, you know, some guy, Kyler got all the benefits of the doubt and the red carpets and they played him from, from day one, right? I mean, and protected him, you know, and paid him. Cliff Kingsbury said, I don't want any other quarterback other than Kyler. You know, to put a bow on our uh, our conversation here with the uh, with the defense, you you threw out the numbers for the Cardinals against just the five NFC West opponents. Uh, in those five games, they have a negative eighty five point differential. Uh, that negative eighty five point differential in just those five games would be sixth worst in the NFL in the whole season for any other team that's played thirteen games. Uh-huh. The Cardinals would be just in five sixth. games. Yeah. Just in five games, they have essentially the same point differential as the 2023 New York Jets. Yeah, and I, you know, and Gannon's being hailed as this like culture changer. I, I mean, I'm if if you can't match wits with Kyle Shanahan, Pete Carroll, and Sean McVay, you don't have a chance. I mean, you just don't, and. And here's what sticks in my craw, too, about Gannon. Is calls off third day of mandatory minicamp. As a rookie head coach, you could have spent that day doing NFC West prep on the field, plant the seed, get it in there early. There are so many things you could have done with that valuable time, and you didn't. Calls off rookie minicamp. How do you do that in all good conscience? How do you just call out like, wow, I want to reward everyone? For what? What's our reward as fans watching this just, you know, getting beat to shreds by by NFC West teams? I mean, this is the first time in a long time we might go 0-6 in the NFC West. And I'd like to remind everyone who, you know, wanted to make Cliff Kingsbury the scapegoat here. Cliff Kingsbury not only, you know, went four and two against the NFC West two years ago. All right. He beat all three of those teams with two different quarterbacks in their own buildings. So he won twice in four years in L.A., in Seattle, and in San Francisco. Tell me right now what what are the chances are we'll see anything like that with Jonathan Gannon as head coach? You know, and people are saying, "Oh well, you know, with a year's time and now free agency, we're going to add who's going to come to the Cardinals? Who's going to want to pick the Cardinals and play for for Gannon?" Well, the Cardinals got to pay the Jaguar tax now. They got to pay a, a premium for people to come play for their team, the same way the Jaguars had to do with Christian Kirk. And and Michael Bidwell doesn't want to pay any free agent over $10 million a year. So that eliminates a whole lot of people to begin with. All right. So, but look at it this way. All right. I mean, some head coaches, the popular ones, when they get hired, they attract players who had in the past, right? Here are the players that he that he attracted. Kaiser White, who don't get me wrong, in some games he's been really good. I mean, but it's been so inconsistent. In two of those NFC West losses, his game grades were in the 20s. He was a no-show. I mean, in your own division, you have to have your Mike linebacker be your leader. I mean, so he plays a couple of good games. And everyone thinks he's an all-star. 
But when you look more closely, he's terribly inconsistent in his PFF grade is 58.9, I think. 58. It's nowhere close to being, you know, in the top half of Mike's in the NFL or even top two, two thirds. I mean, so you got Kaiser White, who's not a Mike. So you put him out of position and he's not a consistent player, but swears by Gannon. You have Zach Pascal, who was supposed to be a nice contributor, hasn't done Jack. I mean, look at him yesterday, the effort. It just didn't look like he was playing. looked like he was playing three-quarters three speed. And when, you know, when the ball's thrown at you, come back and get it. You just let it, the man play his passing lane. I mean, Andre Cheshire with a team that so desperately needs free safety help. And the thought was he was going to be a, a good special teamer. He has one of the worst special teams grades on the team. He's got a like a 64 defensive grade, but he's played sparingly, you know, and he's not been there when you really need him. I mean, he hasn't wanted to, you know, Gannon doesn't want to play him, so what's the point there? You want to bring him in. Kayvon Wallace, who they claimed because he played for Gannon, gone, was awful. And it's playing in the same system. So where is this, you know, so if that's your first taste of guys who came with Gannon, I mean, I'm sorry. I I would love to be able to sit here and say, boy, this guy's really got it and he's got something special. The point is, if you're a defensive-minded head coach in today's NFL, you'd better be some, you know, you better at least have, you know, a defense that, you know, can rival anyone. At least, as we saw in with the Chargers, with Brandon Staley, if you don't, it defeats the whole purpose. And here's, and I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Kyle for his, his, his remarks. I, I want to finish it with this, my remarks towards Gannon is that so you come in he makes it a, a stipulation of being hired if you want me to call defensive plays don't hire me i don't want to do it that tells me something right there i mean you don't want the fate of this team in your own hands at least in the beginning you know you want to be you know directly responsible why don't you want to call the plays I mean, why don't want to take charge and set the tone? So the only thing that made sense, okay, you want to be the head coach and you don't want play-calling responsibility. So if you do that, you got to hire a Mike Zimmer as your defense. you got to hire a guy with experience. Instead, you hire your linebacker coach who's – you know, I think an up-and-coming coach in the NFL, but it was like hiring James Betcher, which was one of the worst decisions. I mean, the B.A. era got derailed the minute he made that decision. I mean, you know, Rallis is going to be a good coordinator somewhere down the line, but it's way too early for him. He's, the guy's 30 years old. <clears throat> and you're now making this the youngest coaching staff in the NFL. So if you want to be a delegator, then you got to hire guys who know what they're doing, coming in, and who have gravitas with players. I mean, you know, I mean, Gannon has ties to Zimmer. Why wouldn't he hire Zimmer? And make Nick's, you know, it's just unbelievable. And then on the offensive side, you know, he wants Kyler Murray as his quarterback but he brings in a, an offensive system that doesn't fit the quarterback's greatest strengths. It makes no sense. 
And you had to cheat to get this guy in the building, cost you a third rounder. He lies about it. Bald face lies. The whole thing is just, you know, it's regrettable. And um, and to just every day hear about how how hard the Cardinals are playing, and boy, the culture's really set. I'll tell you why the culture, the, everything that's good about the culture, everything that's good about this culture is James Conner, Buda Baker, and Dennis Gardeck. And like, you know, Matt Prater. There's your culture, okay? They're the ones that people are grabbing onto their, you know, shirt tails. It's not Jonathan Gannon. It's not even close. So I don't know. You know, we're stuck with this now. They're not going anywhere. They're not moving off of Kyler. When I think, you know, they have a chance to grab one of the top quarterbacks. Like, I think this kid, Jaden Daniels, could be the next C.J. Stroud. I really do. I think Drake May could be the next C.J. Stroud, too. And, you know, Caleb Williams is just a tremendous offensive talent. But, like, you wouldn't pull in Caleb Williams to run this offense. You just wouldn't. Um, so, but but May and, and Daniels would have, you know, if you look at what Josh Dobbs with, did with a little greater uh, length and stuff, you know, the opportunities he had, if you insert May into that situation, you insert Daniels. And I like J.J. McCarthy, too. I really like that kid. So, you know, if you put someone with a little size in there and athletic ability like those three guys have, you know, I think you got a better chance of of, uh, of running this offense the way they want. Um, so, but uh, a lot of these things and decisions. The other thing is, is that with Monty Austin for is if you're going to hire all these young guys sitting on 15 million makes you look absolutely stupid. I mean, to not give them a better chance of, of cap space that he didn't spend. I mean, I get the whole deal about being frugal and want to kick it down the road, but if you don't give this young co coaching staff, the pieces to try to at least be competitive and not being outscored 163 to 78 in your own division, where it's crystal clear the coaches do not understand how to how to defend those four teams, those three teams, or play them, you know, on the other end, or you know, attack them on the other end. It's really clear, you know, they should have a homework clause in uh, in Gannon's contract because he's not doing it. He's just not. And he's, de you know, delegating everything. So, so whoever's assigned to do it, they're not doing it. Um, it's Those two Ram games are crystal clear proof. They didn't have a clue. They didn't even know where to start. They didn't even, you know, take away one thing of their bread and butters um, and make a concerted effort to at least do that. Then you could say, well, they were prepared. They weren't. So, Kyle, your other thoughts about the game? I know that you took great interest in it. What do you? Yeah, think? it's it's hard to pick up after the uh, the eviscerating of Jonathan Gannon right there, um, because the, in terms of the defensive play calling, like the the two touchdowns that they gave up, where McCaffrey was wide open and Debo was wide open. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, like we're not giving these players enough credit for the fact they know how to play zone defenses. You don't get to the NFL just running around out there and hitting and being in lucky spots. Like they, these guys know how to play NFL defense. And so somewhere, somewhere the, the pre-snap motion is messing with them. I mean, obviously the Niners have weapons up and down the field. And I think that, you know, give all the credit in the world to them for the schemes that they put together and, They've made lots of teams look silly all season long, so it's not just a Cardinal problem, but the ones that were galling, you can point to and say like, yeah, a player went to a wrong zone or they didn't do this or that, but they know how to hand off in a zone. They know how to cover zones when when 
Kittle is crossing across. And some of the plays were were great. I mean, the one-handed catch that Kittle had that set him up in the red zone for, I think that was the the second Debo. No, that was the first Debo touchdown. Like, yeah, that was a great play. And they've they made a handful of great plays in that game. Uh, the pick six was tough, but also a bit unlucky because that was the first defensive touchdown the Niners had scored all season. <laughs> that great defense. That was the first defensive touchdown they had all season. So it was also a little bit unlucky for the Cardinals. And that put him in a hole when, like you said, the first drive looked great and they were right in the game because they had punched the 49ers in the mouth. Wasn't ideal, but, you know, defensively, they got a lot to work on. And I mean, part of it is they're going to draft some new players and they're starting two rookie corners, which is never ideal, but is also better than starting Marco Wilson, according to the PFF grades throughout the season. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with the defensive side of the ball. There's there's a lot of work to be done there, and we'll see what we'll see what comes of it. I think similar to you, it's it's going to be interesting to see what decision they make in terms of retaining Rallis. And if you get rid of Rallis, does that mean Gannon sticks around? Does Gannon staying mean it's more likely that Kyler will stick around, which the answer is yes to that question pretty irrefutably because Gannon and Kyler are tied at the hip as it comes to the organization. That's not to say if they move on from Gannon that they'll move on from Kyler necessarily, but if they do move on from Gannon, they're not going to have Gannon coach whoever the next quarterback is if that's the case. So we'll see what the organization chooses. And uh, yeah, defensively, it was a tough game and offensively I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about the Petsing offense even if it's not if it's not the offense you'd prefer for them to run or the the spread offense I was listening to um Ian Eagle and Charles Davis on the broadcast and they were saying like yeah this is the first time ever in his entire career that Kyler Murray has been in an offense like this and through five games it's been mixed bag of results but I think overall pretty successful so we'll see what happens and uh you know, every week I've been giving people the, the the draft position update. No change this week. It's still number three. It'll be number three unless the Panthers or New England win another game the rest of the season, which is uh, not a guarantee at this point. So we'll see what happens. Also, the Cardinals would have to win two of their last three games to fall further than five because every team in the league except for four has already won five games this year, which is pretty remarkable. You don't usually see that even in the... NFL right. filled with parody. You don't usually see every team sitting at the five win mark. Usually you'd have a, well, I guess both of the New York teams that would have four wins, but the, the Jets beat the Eagles and Tommy DeVito had a perfect passer rating in the second half against the Packers. So now those teams have five wins also, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. We, we We got more questions than answers on the defense and, Teams that run motion are the teams that pick apart the the Cardinals the hardest. I mean, their their biggest blowouts this year came against the Rams, the 49ers, and the Seahawks. And Seth Walder puts out the pre-snap motion percentages every week. And uh, those are three of the top six teams in the league in pre-snap motion. So that would explain some of the blowouts. Although giving the Cardinals credit, the Falcons and Steelers are both top 10 in pre-snap motion. And the Cardinals beat both of those teams. All right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take it. Um, thanks to all of you for your continued support and um, to all my friends at Twitter um, at WBJ Mitch and to all my uh, fantastic members at Revenge of the Birds. But thanks to all of you. And in the interim, may the red, red rain shower down on you into the red, red sea, red rain.